Hello, hola, bonjour and guten tag. Welcome to my podcast. We've all seen the trends of drip icing, unicorn cakes and biscuits which look like pizza. We've all contemplated taking on the tricky task of making sourdough bread at home with all the free time we now have and it's not easy, trust me, I've tried. And we've all watched videos of people beautifully decorating baked goods in a way that makes it seem like it's the easiest thing on the planet. But... For first-time bakers, this can be overwhelming. You may think, what if I go wrong? And I can't ice cupcakes that well. And why does mine not look like theirs? And that's okay, because like any other skill, baking takes practice. For some people, they might be able to just look at a Mary Berry's chocolate cake recipe once and then proceed to make a light, perfectly sweet sponge with a melt-in-the-mouth buttercream. For others, the cake might end up burnt to a crisp in the oven. Yesterday, I made a marble cake with dark chocolate ganache for the fifth time ever, and it was the first time I was completely satisfied. Now, I'm a bit of a perfectionist though, so even the littlest of things like not enough rise on a biscuit or slightly burnt edges makes me feel like I failed the task. But I know I haven't, because at least I tried, and mum and dad seem to like it, so at least it's edible. But you don't have to do a recipe several times to get it perfect. It doesn't even have to be perfect, but baking a cake is like playing the violin or painting with acrylics. You can't expect to become an expert and make masterpiece desserts by reading a recipe once, any less than you can expect to become a violin virtuoso by reading a sheet of music for the first time, or an artistic prodigy by putting paintbrush to canvas. But you tried, and even if it didn't come out how you dreamed it would, You know what to do and what not to do next time. And if you didn't enjoy it, there doesn't even have to be a next time. All in all, try not to get frustrated. And if you do get frustrated, well, you know that you can always try again. I've tried my hands at several different baking creations. I've tackled cheesecakes and pies, done a few sourdough loaves with what seems to be a never-ending starter, and even dabbled in the strenuous task that is macaron making. But something that I've never truly managed to get right is the simple task of making a cake. Every time, it would be too dense, or there'd be huge cracks across the top, or my topping of choice would slowly seep into the sponge and create a bit of a mess. So one evening, after my online lessons had all finished, I began to do some research. I read articles, watched YouTube videos, bought fancy things like palette knives and board scrapers, and set myself a mission. Finally make a cake which I am happy with. In my opinion, if you're new to the cake making world, the best recipe to start off with is a simple vanilla sponge with buttercream. If you're a little bit adventurous like me, you could try different flavours like chocolate or lemon, or maybe try a different topping like cream cheese frosting. As I mentioned before, I tried a marble cake with chocolate ganache. Marble cake is simply a sponge with a combination of two or more different colours and flavours which are swirled together to create a marble effect throughout the cake. You can do any colour and flavour you want. I chose to combine chocolate and vanilla for a good contrast in colour and less hassle to do with food colouring. If you don't know already, different types of food colouring can change the consistency of the batter and also change its shade once baked and this can result in the cake coming out with a drier, more crumbly texture. It's very complicated. First of all, you make a cake batter. 
The difference between cooking and baking is obviously that baked goods go in the oven, but also the fact that with baking, measurements must be much more precise to ensure a consistent outcome. Don't ever eyeball this. It's for this reason that we always weigh our ingredients. You may find that many recipes call for cups. Do not measure in cups! This method is rather popular with bakers from the United States, but the fact is that cups is a measurement of volume, not mass. And if we measure in cups, we almost never get equal amounts of ingredients. This is because a cup of milk and a cup of flour not only have different densities, but they're completely different states of matter. Flour is a solid and milk is a liquid. Therefore, with baking, you can't measure them using the same equipment. Another reason why using cups is not a favourable method is because one person may have more flour in a cup than another person due to how they've packed it. This basically means one person may spoon the flour into the cup and press it together really tightly, whereas another person may just loosely scoop the flour in. Obviously, the person who has packed their flour more tightly is going to have more flour than the person who's loosely scooped it. This is why we prefer to use grams and millilitres. Most baking recipes share the same principal ingredients. The, thing, the things that makes it different is the quantity of each ingredient as well as the order in which they're mixed in. For cakes, the same amount of butter, flour and sugar are used. The way that I like to determine how much I use is by basing it off of my eggs. For the cake that I made yesterday, I used three large eggs. I weighed these eggs. I did it when they were still in the shells because this doesn't have to be completely accurate as it's just to give us a rough idea and the scale showed 188 grams. So I rounded this and I used 190 grams of butter, sugar and flour. First of all, to start your batter, you put in the butter. For cake, we use softened butter. Note that I said softened and not melted. Therefore, don't use the microwave because it's too powerful and it will melt the butter. So what I like to do is buy the butter that comes in the tubs, the more spreadable ones, because this tends to be the exact consistency that's needed for cakes. If you have stick butter though, you can just take it out of the fridge and leave it at room temperature until you can gently squeeze it with your fingers but it doesn't feel too greasy. Place all the butter in a mixing bowl and start to whisk. You can use a hand whisk, electric whisk or a stand mixer, they all do the same thing, but they just take more or less time than the others. Once the butter looks creamy and slightly pale, you can stop whisking. Next, we add the sugar. Caster sugar is preferred because the crystals are a lot finer than normal granulated sugar that you might use for your tea or coffee. The finer crystals mean they will dissolve more easily, so the cake batter will be smooth and not grainy with big lumps. Put all of the sugar in and mix until it's very, very pale and it's around doubled in size. I find this takes around 3-5 to five minutes with an electric whisk on a medium speed and if you don't whisk the butter and sugar enough you risk having a grainy batter with undissolved sugar as well as not having enough air incorporated into it to get a nice and light sponge. Next it's time to add the eggs. Crack them in one by one making sure each egg is fully incorporated before adding the next. Mix this, mix this in until you can no longer see any streaks of yolk but stop here otherwise it's possible that your batter will curdle. Now we add in the flour. Use self-raising flour here because we aren't using any other raising agent like baking powder or bicarbonate of soda. Put all of this in 
and fold it gently with a spatula or wooden spoon. Don't use a whisk because if you overwhisk the batter you can risk losing all of the air we've incorporated which can make a very dense cake. Make sure you sift the flour prior to mixing it in otherwise the batter can become lumpy which nobody wants. Now we add the liquids. For the cake that I made I used 3 teaspoons of milk and 1 teaspoon of vanilla extract. It really depends on how thick or runny your batter is but a teaspoon of milk for each egg works well I found. If you want super accurate measurements, use 5 millilitres for each egg. How much vanilla you put in is a personal choice, depending on how strong you want the flavour to be. Don't put too much in though, because firstly, it can change the consistency, and secondly, too much vanilla might result in your cake being quite bitter. You can stop here if you want and just make a vanilla sponge, or you can add cocoa powder to make the entire cake chocolate flavoured. Something I found when making a chocolate sponge is to still add a teaspoon of vanilla so it makes the chocolate really stand out. Or, instead of the vanilla, you can add a teaspoon of instant coffee to make a really rich, dark chocolate flavour. When the cake is baked, you won't be able to taste the coffee, so don't worry if you think it makes the batter taste funny. There are loads of tips from recipes online saying how to make richer chocolate cake, and some even use things like mayonnaise and Diet Coke. So feel free to experiment and see which one works best for you. As I made marble cake, I distributed the batter into two bowls. If you're using more colours, then obviously use more bowls, but since I only used two, two is enough. I sifted the cocoa powder into one of them to make the chocolate sponge. I used 50 grams of cocoa because I like quite a strong dark chocolate flavour, but you can use more or less if you want. Keep in mind that too much cocoa can make the cake very dense and, again, bitter. Now we're going to grease our cake tin. You can use butter, oil or that funny low calorie spray thing, but whatever you like. And line the tin with greaseproof parchment paper. Take two teaspoons and spoon the cake batter into the tin, alternating between the chocolate and vanilla to prepare for our marble effect. Use a teaspoon rather than a tablespoon because the smaller size will create a more intricate marble look which will result in really pretty cake slices. Once all the batter is in the tin, use the back of one of the teaspoons to swirl it all together and make the beautiful marbling. Don't get too carried away here because too much swirling can actually make the two colours mix together, which means the contrast between the vanilla and the chocolate will be less obvious. Then, using a palette knife, butter knife or spatula, smooth out the top to prevent cracking and the weird bubbles that you get. Then gently knock the tin against the tabletop to remove little pockets of air. Then bake. Every oven is different, so you'll have to use your personal knowledge and a little bit of help from the internet here, and also factor in the size of your cake. At home, we have a fan oven, so I baked mine at 180 degrees Celsius for 45 minutes. The tale old trick to telling when it's done is to insert a skewer or wooden stick into the thickest part of your cake which is usually the middle, and then if it comes clean when you take it out, your cake is done. Don't leave your cake in the oven after you've turned it off because the oven's still hot and this can cook the cake longer, which is why your cake can sometimes get a bit burnt or dry. Once the cake is at room temperature, you can cut off any burnt bits and level out any risen parts that you don't want that may have formed. A trick that I like to use is to flip the cake upside down and decorate it so the base is at the top, 
because this is a much flatter and smoother surface. While you're waiting for the cake to cool, never decorate a hot cake, it's just going to make your topping all melt off the sides. You can make your topping. So you can use anything you like, you can even make a filling as well if you want. I personally don't like buttercream, so I used a ganache instead. To make a ganache for icing, use equal parts of chocolate and double cream. So for example, I used 150 grams chocolate and 150 millilitres of cream. Heat the cream in a saucepan until it starts to bubble a little bit on the sides and then pour the hot cream over the chocolate in a bowl. Stir this until the chocolate is completely melted. Leave this to cool for a while. You can put it in the fridge if you want to but be careful because the ganache can set without you even realising. You know when it's at the right consistency for decorating when you pour a little bit of ganache over the rest of it and it doesn't like melt back into the rest of its surroundings. You can now decorate the sponge however you'd like to with the buttercream, ganache or whatever other topping. I like to use some pictures off the internet and YouTube videos for inspiration on how I'll do it. And that's it. This is the recipe I used to make a cake that I was happy with and one that I will use in the future. Good luck on your baking adventures. Remember, practice makes progress and we can't always make satisfying masterpieces every time. Hopefully the tips and tricks I shared are of help and don't be afraid to experiment with flavours and colours and do whatever works for you. Also, tell me how mayonnaise works in cake. I'm curious to find out.